1: Hello and welcome back to the Prospect Podcast, where we speak to the brightest minds and talk about the ideas that matter in politics, arts and society. I'm Ellen Halliday and today I'm joined by Peter Kellner, who is a regular Prospect writer, a political analyst, commentator and former president of YouGov. And we're going to be talking about the start of this election year and what the year ahead might look like. In a couple of minutes, we'll also bring in Emily Lawford, my colleague, who's an assistant editor here at Prospect, who's going to be telling us a bit more about an exciting project that she and Peter have been working up. So, Peter, I think we have to start today with this rather interesting poll that's um, come out and caused a bit of excitement in recent days. It's predicting a sort of 1997-style election wipeout. What do you make of that news?
2: Let's start with what the nature of the poll is because YouGov, who normally polls for the Times, this is not one of their standard polls. For the last few months, YouGov have been showing almost all the polls they've done a labelled leader somewhere between 20 and 24%. They're at the top end of pollsters' range, so they're not completely out of the ballpark, but they're at the top end of a range. This poll appeared in the Telegraph. And this is not because the Telegraph have stolen the contracts from the Times, but because the poll was commissioned by a rather odd conservative group with a, with a, 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 a new name. They don't say who, who they are, but it is plain from the Telegraph write-up. It's a right-wing conservative group, and their agenda, and they use this poll to back their agenda, is to say if things carry on as they are, the Tories are going to face, as you say, a 1997-style wipeout, and things must Change now. Let's put the politics of that to one side, but then and look at to the numbers. It's what's called an MRP poll. It's an attempt to start with a very large sample, in this case fourteen thousand people, as opposed to the normal two thousand sample, and gather enough information from enough people to make a stab at working out how each constituency will go by looking in detail about the young, the old, the male, the female, edu- university educated, non-graduates, and so on. And what they've come up with is this um, prediction that there would be a very, very large Labour majority. Now, to my mind, there's one very good thing about this poll, and there's one very questionable thing. The good thing is that although the Telegraph didn't publish this uh, on Monday. I got youGov to to dig out the, the figure. The voting intentions on which they've driven this exercise is the lowest youGov Labour lead for ages. It's thirteen and a half percent, about six to ten percentage points below their normal polls. This isn't because it's a funny sample. It's because uh, they've done something different with the raw data and they've made an assumption about the people who now say don't know, but probably will somehow vote some way or other, what they will do. If you want to put this into posh philosophical terms, it's the difference between saying what would be the current vote if you polled every single elector throughout Britain, what figures would you get? And you got to say, well, you get to 20% or, or so Labour leads. But if you ask a different question, if there were actually a general election now, what do we think the outcome would be? It's a slightly different question, because then these pesky don't-knows come into play, because if you think a lot of them will actually vote, then you need to make some stab at what they'll do. And what you've got is be saying is, uh, you know, most of these don't-knows are former Tory voters who are sitting on the fence, not all but many of them will go back to the Tories and that closes the gap I think that is a very sensible thing to do because it is the more important question is not philosophically what is the state of a theoretical um poll of every person in Britain what you really want to know is if there were an election what will be the result so this is a, 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 I think a decent stab at answering that question where I think think they may have gone wrong, or at least it's questionable, is that the nature of MRP, the formula uh, that, that they apply, and, and, and all the companies, or almost all companies that do these MRP polls uh, do, has uh, builds into the arithmetic the assumption that when the Tories' vote is down, the bigger the Tory vote at the last election, the more they will fall. So the poll nationally has a swing of 13% to Labour, but what they're saying is in the seats where the Tories have a majority of 10, 15, 20,000, it may well be a 15, 18, 20% swing. And that is how you get to a Labour landslide, because what you get is normally safe Conservative seats falling on exceptionally large swings. And I looked at the, the Telegraph producer lists of what they say are the 11 Cabinet ministers who would lose their seats yeah. on this estimate. Now, uh, it's still pretty bad, on my reckoning, if you, if you do it on the conventional assumption that swings are much the same in safe seats and marginal okay. seats, then... Uh, they'd still lose seven, but but four of the cabinet ministers, and if they're listening, they may be relieved to hear, uh, they're Penny Mordant, Victoria Prentice, Julian Keegan and Johnny Mercer. Those are the four who I believe would save their seats, but the Telegraph awarding would lose their seats.
1: When polls like this come out, they always cause quite a bit of excitement. There's going to be a lot of this kind of uh, discussion in the months ahead. You've cast some, you know, uh, or told us to approach this kind of data perhaps with a degree of scepticism. How important do you think polls are in driving, also, you know, this kind of discussion, the media agenda, in the year running up to an election?
2: Polls, and this may seem odd as a, as a pollster for some years saying this. I think polls have too much impact um, for two reasons. One is because you know, when you get something that I think is wrong or is at least questionable, people think of it as the gospel truth and distorts uh, the way debate is, is is carried on. But secondly, all polls are subject to margin, sampling error, margin of error. There's nothing, you know, there's nothing bad going on. It's just that the laws of probability tell you that in a conventional poll of a couple of thousand people, you might be two or three points too high or two or three points too low on each party. So quite often you get media stories saying the Labour lead is up three or four points or the Labour lead is down three or four points. There's a very high likelihood that nothing has changed. You're simply seeing statistical uh, wobble and therefore you get the illusion of change when nothing much is happening. And indeed for the last 12 months, I reckon there's a a plausible case for saying none of the major parties have moved more than a, a point or two up or down Labour has been somewhere around 43-44% the last 12 months the Conservatives somewhere around 26-27% the last 12, 12 months and pretty well every poll is as well within sampling error distance of those core figures
1: and there certainly seem to be a lot of challenges now um, perhaps particularly for Labour in their positioning um, I'm thinking about Labour's response to the Israel-Palestine conflict and um, and now also the government's decision um, in taking action towards the Houthis in Yemen and how Labour responds to to those sort of big geopolitical events. What's your sense of the public mood or, or towards those events and how Labour is playing it?
2: Let me start off with a little bit of history. I don't know whether to boast or, or admit uh, the following. If you go back... Um ten years there was a suggestion of britain joining an, an american plan to bomb parts of syria uh, to in response to the use of chemical weapons in the syria conflict and president obama called up david cameron over the august bank holiday weekend and said david i want you to come in on this and cameron said i have to recall parliament so parliament was recalled for the thursday after the august bank holiday This is important because this is the week more than any other in the year when MPs are away on holiday. So there was a lot of grumbling of being forced um, to come back. I got a quick YouGov poll into the field on the Tuesday after Bank Holiday Monday and we gave the results to to The Sun. The Sun was the client. And on the Wednesday morning and it showed two to one opposition amongst British voters to taking part And guess what happened? In the debate, Labour opposed the action and a minority, but a sufficient minority of Conservatives opposed the action for Cameron to be defeated. So he told Obama he couldn't go ahead. And then Obama uh, got cold feet and didn't go ahead either. Now, can I prove our poll made a difference? Well, no MP is going to say I was going to support it till I saw a poll. They never say that. But what you did have in the debate is a great many MPs said one can only go into this kind of military action if you've got the public behind you. And ours was the only piece of up to date evidence as to what the public said. So it is at least possible, I wouldn't say it's seven, is it possible to say there's a YouGov poll or the British public giving voice via a YouGov poll? Perhaps it's miraculous, we're putting it stopped. Um, that particular bombing all that said these are not issues in the front of people's mind so when you say is Keir Starmer playing it right is Rishi Sunak playing it right in terms of the public to be honest I think it's almost an irrelevant question if there's a poll or when there's a poll there will be interest in it but you know the verdict that will matter will be in three months or six months time when the dust has settled Will it be seen in weeks and months to come to have been successful or unsuccessful? Will it, in retrospect, be the right thing or the wrong thing to have done? That is the verdict which would be much more important than the verdict now while it's underway.
1: This is probably a good moment to bring in my colleague, Emily. Hi, Emily. Hi. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Um, now, Emily, you and Peter work together often. You've been editing his work for how long now? Uh,
0: about three years. Pretty much since I joined.
1: And the two of you have been planning quite an exciting uh, build up for us to the election. Can you tell us a bit more about what you've been working on and then, you know, have a chat about uh, what we might expect?
0: Great. So Peter and I are starting a project called Election Countdown where Peter will write a new column, which will launch on the Prospect website on Monday, 29th of January. And that date is a year before the last possible date that the next general election can be held. So every Monday by noon, Peter will give us a piece of election analysis, often pegged to a recent poll or data point um, about mostly covering the UK election, but we may bring in other elements as well, just to analyze where the main, how the main parties are doing, any relevant new information, um, analysis of basically where the land lies each week. Sounds great. So, Peter, first of all, I want to ask you how much can we trust polls these days?
2: Polls? When I say polls, I'm not talking about, you know, when a newspaper invites its readers to ring a premium rate number. The Express often does this and it finds that, you know, 98% think Brexit is wonderful. Um, Talking about proper polls on my proper companies asking proper scientific samples. They are almost always close to the truth. They are hardly ever miles away from the truth. And when you come to the final election polls, they are hardly ever completely spot on, very occasionally, but it's luck when they are. So if you've got, let's imagine that it turns out to be a very close election. If you have on election day, the polls showing, you know, a two or three point Labour lead or a two or three point Conservative lead, all you can sensibly say at that point is it's neck and neck if Labour or the Conservatives are 10 or 15 points ahead on the morning of election in the final polls, they are almost certainly going to win that election. Adlai Stevenson, who was an American Democrat, unsuccessful, but bright and engaging um, American Democrat in the 50s, once said polls should be taken but not inhaled. So they should be watched and I will be watching them, uh, but I will try not to inhale polling is always changing a bit so for example the the last general election I did as you I like all the other pollsters we we, we got it wrong Um, we all had um, uh, overstated labor by three or four points we understated the conservatives by three or four points Um, and uh, when the pollsters got together to commission a, a serious academic to go through and explore it the he found a number of things but the biggest single thing was that pretty well all the pollsters the oldest age group was 65 plus um, what he found when he delved into the innards of polling was that the people over 70 especially over 75 were quite different from the people of 65 to 70 they were more conservative and yet polls happens their over 65 sample happened to have too many who are, if you like, under 70, and too few who are over 75. And that was one of the sources. So today, pollsters take much care, more care, um, about the age breaks. The biggest problem that faces pollsters is knowing which of their sample are actually going to vote. And pollsters have slightly different ways, but typically um, a poll will ask not just how will you vote, but they'll say on a scale of, of, of 0 to 10 where 0 means you're certain not to vote and 10 means you're absolutely certain to vote, where would you put yourself? Um, and different pollsters treat those numbers slightly different ways but their aim is to keep in the people who they think are pretty certain to vote and to sort of kick out the people who don't seem likely to vote. The problem is that where um, pollsters have, after the election, gone back and because identity is widely known, but it it is possible to find out after an election... Who has voted? You can't tell publicly how they voted, but you get the marked-up registers are available in each council office. So you know you will find that I have voted in every election since the year dot, and the councils have to keep this I think for a year or maybe it's two years. So pollsters, it's laborious, but they are able to find out who was voted, and you find the people who say ten out of ten. Are pretty likely to vote, but not all of them do. And the people who say North House are, are pretty likely not to. But some of them do. Um, so it's it's a good but not perfect match. Some of the errors you get in some elections have been because um, they've got that wrong. Uh, forgive me for going on a bit, but it, but it's a, but there's a there's a rather neat thing that in 2015, apart from the age uh, profile, they found that youngsters were likely to vote in unusually high numbers because under 25s are the least likely to vote. And it turned out that they didn't because most of them who did vote, voted Labour, or at least said they were vote Labour. That was another source of Labour being overestimated. So in 2017, at least some of the pollsters, I know, they got the same, infam- the same return. The youngsters said they were really keen to vote. Said, ah, we were caught out by this last time. So we're going to dial down the number of um, young voters. And this time, if you like the Jeremy Corbyn effect, they did vote in unprecedented numbers. And pretty well, all the polls underestimated Labour's vote in 2017, having overestimated in 2015. All one can say is that each poll pollster tries to correct the mistakes they made last time. The trouble is that they're they're likely to make new mistakes this time.
1: After the break, we'll talk more about Peter's column and the political year ahead. But first, I'd like to tell you about a seasonal subscription offer from Prospect. We're discounting the price of an annual digital subscription by 50%. To take advantage of this great deal, please visit subscribe.prospectmagazine.co.uk slash FAM. Offer ends Friday the 19th of January 2024. Selling a little? because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com/work. shopify.com/work. Since 2013, Bombus has donated over 100 million socks, underwear and t-shirts to those facing homelessness.
0: Obviously, polls does ask other questions, as well as voting intentions, such as approval for party leader. Mm. What kind of questions do you think are big indicators of what the final result will be?
2: Traditionally, two questions have been very, very good indicators. One is uh, the uh, who do you want to be prime minister? And the other is, who do you trust on the economy? Now, is isn't surprising because the two things that do matter most to most people are the personality because although we have a parliamentary system elections are increasingly presidential in their media uh, impact and the economy is what matters um most to people and in one of the elections that the polls got wrong in 1992 again without going into the innards of that there were people i'm afraid not me but there were people who from fairly on in the campaign said they think the tories are going to win and they were saying, because all of the voting intentions shows Labour ahead, the same polls are showing John Major ahead of Neil Kinnock and the Tories trusted more on the economy than Labour. And they said, in the end, this will move the Tories to victory and hurt Labour.
0: When do you think the next election will be? I've said the last possible date is, uh, I think, 28th January ni- uh, 2025. But um, do you have any sense of it? Uh,
2: I'm going to make the brash assumption that, that, that no event causes everybody to change their plans. And given, you know, what we've had in the last three years, we've had COVID, we've had the uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine, we've had the inflation and energy prices. So this has been a parliament full of shocks. But absent any further shocks, I think it'll be in November. I've been arguing, as as you know, Emily, um, in in my pieces fairly consistently, that it wouldn't be in May because no prime minister calls an early election, unless they're clearly ahead in the polls. And the Tories aren't clearly ahead. And if there's going to be a May election, they've got to decide about eight weeks from now, uh, Labour's lead, I doubt if it'll collapse in that time. And Richard you know said, his working assumption is it'll be the second half of the year. And equally, I don't think it'll be next January. I don't think voters or party workers or the d- d- journalists or MPs will be particularly keen to have this hanging over them over Christmas. So it'll either be October, or either they'll announce it at the beginning of September, scrap the party conferences, have an October election. This used to happen quite a lot in 1959, in 1964, in 1974. It hasn't happened since then. But given that the Conservatives have the last of the party conferences, the obvious thing is that they will use their party conference as a launching pad for their general election campaign. And soon they'll announce the election, not immediately after the party conference, but a few days afterwards. Now, the first post-party conference day that you could have a general election is November the 7th problem. November the 5th is the American election. And although there's no theoretical reason why you shouldn't have both elections the same week, I'm not sure that Sunakl wants to be starved for the publicity that would attend the last days of an American election. So that means it's in November the 14th. Now, um, this puts me in the same camp, and I suspect for the same reason, as George Osborne. You can decide for yourself whether that adds to or detracts from the plausibility of my prediction.
0: Speaking of the US election, I think you said you'd like uh, this column to occasionally take in polls for that as well. Um, Is there a big difference in how American and British polls work um, ahead of elections?
2: Not fundamentally. In America, because of the traditionally lower turnout, this is a more complicated picture because of the pattern of registration in America, the whole business of working out your turnout and who's going to vote is um, it, it is taken much more seriously in America and some of the polls ask you know, four or five questions to try and um, get that right the more important difference is that whereas in Britain we have six hundred fifty individual constituencies and said so therefore there is a there is a, sort of a statistical way of trying to convert national votes into seats in america you've got 50 states of which five matter and they're what pennsylvania uh, pennsylvania um, virginia michigan uh, wisconsin arizona and therefore the polls that that the experts in america pay attention to are the, the state polls because that'll give you the best idea of, of who's going to win the electoral college But even so, the national polls still get a lot of coverage. And the reason is, for reasons I I can bore for Britain and indeed America on, it is technically easier to get the nation right than to get a state right. And so if you're trying to watch for movement in either candidate, you're more likely to get that accurately in a national poll. So in the end, the smart people in America, they watch both the national and the state polls and then try and jiggle them together to get some impression as to who's uh, likely to win.
0: Thank you. Wow, Uh, fascinating. What do you hope we'll learn from from tracking a poll a week? What do you hope we'll get a picture of in the next few months?
2: What I'm gonna try and do is not simply repeat each week, the polls that have been got a lot of publicity and I'm certainly not going to give you a weekly prediction of the final results what I'm going to do is 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 try and look look under the bonnet of the polls what's going on that is perhaps more significant than the television and newspaper reports of polls are saying and when things change I'm going to try and look at what's causing the change but what's behind it the pollsters ask huge numbers of questions, which they put on their websites, but never get picked up by their media clients, and with them get often a pretty clear understanding. You know, is it Sunak? Is it Starmer? Is it the economy? And in that mix, the thing I'll be watching out for particularly is what the political scientists call valence normal people, the people who are not that interested in politics, they're the people who decide elections, right? You know, I I guess we talking around the table, and I suspect many, if not most of the listeners to this podcast have quite clear views on the parties, on on issues, on the economy, on the Middle East, whatever, on on climate change. But in general, they, if you like, stroke we, are not the people who decide the elections, because most of them, stroke us, know how we're going to vote the people who shift around who decide who wins and decides by how much they win are the people whose votes are not sewn up and the people whose votes are not sewn up tend not to follow policy debates very closely the way they make up their mind is consciously or subconsciously they ask themselves who do i trust are they competent are they on my side Will they keep their promises and these are what political scientists call valence properties as opposed to attitudes to policy and I will certainly in the course of the year be watching these valence indicators very closely
0: Thank you, I'm really looking forward to it
1: Thank you so much, Peter and Emily, for that introduction. It's going to be a e- really exciting series. It's so important to have that analysis coming through Peter over the course of the year. So we look forward to that. Remind us again when it's first going to be published. Two Mondays from now, 29th of January. Excellent. Great. Well, we'll make sure to talk about it again on the Potsdam Podcast in future. But for now, thanks very much for joining.
2: Pleasure. I've enjoyed it.
1: If you've enjoyed this podcast, then you might enjoy more of Prospects Journalism. In our latest issue that's on sale in shops now and available on our website, you can read historian Avi Schleim on the ethnic cleansing that he says is taking place in Gaza. He was on the last episode of this podcast as well. And there's an essay on how the Israel-Palestine conflict has exposed America's waning power in the world, written by Samuel Moyne. There's also a brief encounter with actor Miriam Margulies. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, then why not check out our other two, Media Confidential and Prospect Lives? Just subscribe or follow wherever you get your podcasts. But that's all for now. So see you next week when we'll be revealing an exclusive interview with Prospect's Top Thinker 2024. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen yahoofinance.com.